you know, we, we've been exploring, if you will, uh, what Jubilee means. And I, I want to kind of look back before we look forward. Can we do that? Can we do a little review sesh? Uh, can I be Professor J.D. here for just a minute uh, and, and put on a little tie and um, get, a, get a laser pointer, all right? Um, because what Jubilee does is it really calls us to do three things. Jubilee calls us to do three things. One of the things Jubilee calls us to do is to gather. Jubilee causes us to Gather, the, the scripture, Leviticus 25, verse 13. In the year of Jubilee, everyone is to return. Everybody say return. Everyone is to return to their own property. There's this coming together. There's this bringing back together where we have wandered in our lives. The season of Jubilee is that we're called to come back together from our wandering back to the stability of home. For us, home is the word of God. It's gathering together as the people of God in the church. And it's important that we gather because of why God calls us to gather. And the why God calls us to gather is that every time the people of God come together, we do it for his glory. Hello. We just experienced that, right? We just experienced an absolute blow away of the glory of God. Wow, singing that song, oh, the cross. And the room fills with something bigger than ourselves. The glory of God. We're saying, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. That's why we gather together is because that's a special thing that happens when we gather in this room. We don't just gather in this room. We also gather in living rooms. And those are powerful moments too. But it's different. It's important that we come together for his glory. That's why we're here, that the name of Jesus would be heard and seen all over the earth. And guess what happens when that, when we encounter his glory, we encounter his strength. So when we gather together, it's for his glory and it's for our strength. We get stronger. The word of God strengthens us, strengthens us. The, the community of the believers strengthens us and we should leave equipped, built up for his glory to tell the third thing, his story. When we gather, we gather for his glory, our strength and his story. That's the purpose. That's, that's why we come together. Ephesians 4 verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until, all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature. Become mature. There's growth that happens in us when we gather. That we become mature to the fullness, the whole measure of the fullness of God. It matters that we gather. It matters that we gather. Jubilee calls us to gather, and Jubilee calls us to the hard work of healing and forgiveness. Jubilee calls us to the hard work of healing and forgiveness so that restoration can happen. I mentioned that in the year of Jubilee, debts were canceled. It didn't matter how small or how large, everyone's slate was wiped clean and we talk about how that's fun to think about when you're the one who maybe owes a lot of money. It's a little bit, di it's a little bit different when you're the one who's owed the money. That takes hard work. 
to forgive. Jubilee calls us to restoration because our God is a God of restoration. That, that's who he is. Are you thankful that we serve a God who turns your ashes and makes them beautiful? He's a God of restoration. He restores us. He restores every part of us, including our emotions. Uh-oh. Our emotions, what are we supposed to do with all we feel? And we talked about it, right? That undealt with emotions turn into what? Does anyone remember? This is really discouraging. WMDs, right? Undealt with emotions turn into WMDs, weapons of mass destruction in our relationships. That's what happens. Undealt with emotions turn into WMDs in our relationships, not just in our relationships with people, but they can be destructive even in our relationship with God. Undealt with emotions can turn into WMDs, but the intent of God was that our emotions would be a place of connection. What do we call those? POCs, thank you, amen. Turn your WMDs into POCs with the three W's, right? You guys remember this message? I worked forever on those letters. Right? And so we want them to be places of connection. And how does that happen? We have to know what we feel, why we feel it, and where to go with it. Ephesians 4, verse 21. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, and you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to put it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." You've been made new, and that means that you have a new way of thinking. That means that your desires become change, changed, and that means that you have a change in your purpose. And that's the third thing that Jubilee calls us to. Jubilee calls us to not just affect our family, but to infect everything that's around us. The last thing that Jesus said on the earth before he ascended to heaven is found in Matthew 28. This is the great deployment of the disciples. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission to the disciples. It is also the Great Commission to the church. And that commission of Jesus turns into our mission as Antioch Austin. We exist so that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to hear the message of Jesus in our city and around the earth. The commission of God is our mission as a church. We exist here in Austin. We like to say this phrase, so that all may know. 
Before we get too deep into this, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever forgotten something that ended up being the only thing you actually needed? There's a lot of liars in the room. One of the greatest, you ever drank water and it got worse? Hold on. (coughs) Sorry, guys. Man. (coughs) We'll edit this out the video. (coughs) A buddy of mine um, was doing a wedding. He was actually doing Andrew and Emily Weibel's wedding. They work here at Antioch. And uh, I'll never forget, it, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it still might be the trend, but you know, there was that trend where people wanted to get married <clears throat> in these obscure ranches that you had to drive like four hours to. You guys remember this season? Maybe we're still there. If we are, I can't wait to drive to your wedding. But the, it, was like hot, it was like they were in that flow, right? So we drove, and so what that meant, if you were like in the wedding, of course, you're going to change when you get there so that your stuff isn't all wrinkled up. And so we're in, the bunch of us are kind of in like the dude's area where we're all changing, and Carl goes, oh, no. And I was like, what? He's like, I forgot my pants. (laughs) True story. True story. This was before COVID kind of made it okay for you to have business on top and a party down low, right? And I was like, bummer, bro. This is bummer. He's like, can I borrow yours? I was like, no, you can't. Uh, you can wear jeans. So he, he wore jeans. He looked great. No one even knew. Because let's be honest, at the wedding, no one's looking at the guy performing the ceremony. Uh, as someone who does it, it's like it's the only time that you do public speaking where you hope at the end of it, people don't remember that you were there. That's it. If they remember you, you did something bad. Said the wrong name. Did, did something dumb. You want to be forgettable, right? It's just like, who did the service? I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's what you want to happen. But Carl forgot his pants. How many of you have packed your computer and not your charger? How, how about your, your, you, you got your phone, but you don't have your phone charger? Oh, despair, <laughs> right? I mean, this is a deep pit. This is, we're going to go buy a new charger. Now, being married to my wife, Liz, is an adventure, Okay, uh, she is, I married adventure. God knew I needed to marry an adventure, and he gave me what I needed. And I, I love that uh, she lives wild and free, man. She is an absolute blast, and I love her so much. She's serving the kids this morning. Um, she also is kind of the executive of our house, right? She is the boss lady of the calendar. She holds it down. Um, she makes sure that the kids are where they need to be, and I'm where I need to be is maybe the most important thing. Uh, we're just like, hey, don't forget you need to take the kids here. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't forget, you need to pick Kevin up. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Without that, my kids would be scattered all over the city, and we would be wondering where they were. Uh, but she takes care of all that. She also takes care of, like, all the booking, you know, like if we travel and do cool stuff. Like, she's the one that does all the booking, and she has never made a mistake. She, she plans the coolest trips uh, that you could even dream of, and one of those trips was we got to go to pick up our adoptive kids in Burundi. This was the coolest trip of my entire life because I had been waiting for this for years up to that point. And so the excitement was there. We, we were also terrified, right? We're mixed with all the emotions. We have a lot of adopted families here at Antioch. And you know the turmoil of your soul when you're heading over to pick up your kids, man. It's just you're feeling everything. We had two kids that were here that were not able to go with us. And so you're missing them, but you're excited. I mean, it's just a lot, right? There's a lot to remember. We're also packing clothes for kids we haven't met. You know, I mean, it's just like a lot of details 
flying around. Everything was going great, man. We flew from Dallas to London, London to Kenya. You need to know our kids are from Burundi, no embassy in Burundi. So the base of this adventure happens in Kenya. And so we flew into Kenya and we were told that when we got there, there'd be a shuttle waiting for us to take us to our hotel. Now, we get through customs, we go outside, guess what? Middle of the night, in Kenya, no shuttle. Now, it's Kenya. So we're like, we travel a lot. We're like, okay, it's fine. We'll, we'll find a ride, right? So we get a taxi. We don't think anything of it. We tell the taxi where to take us. They take us to the hotel. We go to the hotel. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you see them panicking, and then you start panicking, right? We're like, we show up, and we're like, yeah, you know, we have a room, blah, blah, blah. And they're like searching, and then they're like, excuse me, and they go talk to somebody else. You've been there, you know, and then someone else comes over and they start looking at the computer and then someone else comes over and they start looking at the computer and then all of a sudden there's like an army of employees trying to figure out what's going on here and they're like, why don't you guys just go sit down and we're like, okay, great, you know, your room will be ready in a minute and they're just like feverishly searching and then after about 15 to 20 minutes they came over to us and they're like, we found your reservation. We like start standing up like, okay, awesome, thank you. I mean, we're so ready just to like take a shower and go to sleep, right? And they were like, but it's for tomorrow. And I was like, oh, so we don't have a room tonight. They're like, no. I was like, sweet. This is awesome. Now, they were like, we think we can work something out. Give us a few more minutes. Of course, because people are amazing. They found us a room. We didn't have to sleep outside with the lions. I'm not joking. There was a pride of lions that was roaming the city while we were there. This is real talk. And, and they, were, they were like, watch your back. They literally said that, watch your back, pride of lions. We don't not quite know where they are, but around here somewhere. And you're like, oh, encouraging. <laughs> I'll watch my back. You know what I'm like, Thank you. But here's the thing, man. We had all these things planned. We had every detail nailed down except one number. One number, and everything that we had planned was teetering on being for a waste. Let's just be honest, so goes our world. We plan, we run after things, money, status, relationships. We're doing everything that we can think of to make our life better, to make ourselves feel better about who we are and what we're doing, and none of it matters if we don't have the only thing that does matter. None of it matters unless we have the only thing that does matter. Life without Jesus is a wasted life. Life without Jesus is a wasted life. And in a way, it's like that trip where you can have everything planned out, everything set up, all the details in order. But at the end, it all doesn't matter if you don't have Jesus at the center. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. Now let me just take a little TV timeout and plug the series that's starting at the beginning of the year called The Way of Jesus. Because unlike any other time in history, we need to know what we believe. We need to know what we believe. To even say in church these days that Jesus is the only way to heaven can feel controversial. We live in a city that loves universalism, but we're not universalists. We're Jesus people. We believe in Jesus. And you might feel a little squirmy, even me saying that. And look, I don't blame you because day in and day out, we live in a culture that tells us to push back on absolute truth. 
And so we're going to be taking January and February of next year to unpack how do we build our lives on the rock, which is who God is and what the Bible says, and not on the sand that culture says that we should believe. And look, I know preachers say that everything they say is the most important thing you're ever going to hear. But I mean it. This is huge. We're in a day where culture is loud and we have to know what we believe. We must be sure of how to build our lives on the rock that is Jesus. Amen. So that's coming at you in January. Jesus said this of himself in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And yes, look, that truth is narrow. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. But can I also say, this is also generous. It's narrow because Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other saving revelation than Jesus, Jesus alone. But it is generous in its availability to all And God's intent is for all to come to an understanding of that truth. 1 Timothy 2. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and accession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Verse 4. Check it out. Who wants all people, say all people, In the original language, that means all people. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, say it with me, all people. God wants all people to be saved. No matter who you are, what you've done, No matter what your family looks like, no matter where you were born, God's intent is for all people, all people, that the story of God and who he is and what he did and what that means for us would be known to every man, woman, and child on the earth so that they can be saved and come to a knowledge of God. The truth. And if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if you need one, we give Bibles out here at Antioch. We'll get you one at the end of the service. Turn with me to Romans 10. Romans 10. In this chapter, Paul, the author of this letter to the church in Rome, is unpacking the desire of God for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is what he says, starting in verse 11. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him, speaking of Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between us. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Hello? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Church, our part and God's commission for us on the earth is to be messengers of the gospel on the earth. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Our purpose is not to survive family. You might feel this acutely as we're looking into the holiday season. Our purpose is not to survive family. Our purpose in life is not just to get through school. Our purpose in life is not just to work a job, have a couple kids, maybe get a couple dogs, and then die. No, that's, that's not our purpose. Our purpose on the earth is to be messengers of Jesus. That's our purpose. That's why we are here. And you might be like, yo, Pastor J.D., I don't feel called to ministry. I'm like, cool. I feel called to medicine. I feel called to law. I feel called to start a business that creates jobs. Whatever you burn for, burn for it. Do it. Do it to the best of your ability. But what you do is not your purpose. Your purpose sits on top of what you do. God is calling you. Some of you, God is speaking to you saying, get into medicine, become a doctor, bring Jesus in that place. Become a lawyer, bring Jesus into that place. Start a business and build it on kingdom principles that is going to change people's lives and bring Jesus into that place. A church living on mission changes our city. A church living on mission changes our city. And our goal as a church is not just to exist here in Austin. Can I just be really vulnerable with you? Our goal is not just to exist here. Our goal is to be in the middle of seeing the city transformed to look like heaven. That's why we're here. Our prayer for Austin is Jesus' prayer for Austin. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're believing for. God, heaven on earth. That's what we're working towards. Every aspect of our city looking like, feeling like, and sounding like heaven. You want to know what transformation looks like? Because you know what? Transformation can feel big. You hear that and you're like, that sounds cool. How are we going to do that? You know what it looks like? It looks like Wednesday night. That's what it looks like. Look, you know what my role was on Wednesday night? I was garbage man. That's what I did. Took out about 25 bags of trash. And then my rolling the trash cans back and forth, I was kind of a little bit like, man, I really wanted to get in some conversations with people. And God stopped me and he said, no, this is exactly what the church does. Pick up the trash. Be there. Love people. Smile. Thank them for the opportunity to serve them. There's nothing small about the church being the church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
There's nothing small about the church showing up, saying we're here to serve. What do you need? I I wish that all of you could have been there at the end of the night. A few of us, the trash crew, remained. And the guy who put on the entire event looked at us, literally started crying. And he was like, I just, I'm overwhelmed that you guys are here, that you worship in this school, that you want to love the community, that you want to be here. Thank you. And I was, I was blown away. I was like, man, that is exactly what should happen is the church shows up and people are blessed because we're there. Hello. People are blessed because we're there, because the church being the church changes the world. And, and, and moments like Wednesday are amazing. I love moments like Wednesday. We'll have another moment like that on Monday. I, I love that. I, I love when we get to come together as a community. But I also want to say that where you go on Monday matters even more than what happened on Wednesday. Because Wednesday was a moment. But where you go on Monday, God has strategically put you there on purpose for a purpose. And you get to go to your office and step onto your campus and walk into the hospital that you work. And you get to do that on mission as a messenger of Jesus and say, Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we live on mission, when we live with our eyes open to the mission, we begin to see things that we would have missed before. Because people we work with, we live next to, we get our coffee from, people all around us, all day, every day, are living their lives with the main thing missing. And they're doing everything they can. But at the end of it all, it's not going to matter because it's Jesus. A life without Jesus is a wasted life. There's a moment in John 4 where we actually find Jesus modeling for us what life on mission looks like. It says this, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples... How cool is that? Jesus is like, nah, man, we have a multiplication model here. It's not me. It's I train them, and then they do it. So he left Judea and made his way back. He went back once more to Galilee. And now he had to go through Samaria. Now, we just read that, had to go through Samaria. We can kind of just read over that, and you forget that that's like, You don't go through Samaria, dude. This is like cultural suicide. Jews did not engage with Samaritans in any way, shape, or form. They would go out of their way to not be seen with them, to talk to them, to have any interaction with them. But Jesus said, now we're going to go through Samaria. What's that tell us about Jesus? He doesn't care about cultural norms. He cares about people's hearts. If we're going to see our city change, we're going to have to go into some places that feel like Samaria to 
us, and we're going to have to bring Jesus into those places because God wants who? All people to be saved. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called, don't know how to say it, uh, neither do you. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This is an important, what, we, what you need to know about this is, this is an important piece of dirt to the people of God. This mattered, this area mattered to the story of God. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was what? Tired? And he was from his journey, so he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Man, there are so many amazing things that are happening in this passage of Scripture. I don't have time to talk about all of them, like the fact that Jesus is in Samaria, wow. Like the fact that Jesus had a conversation with a woman by himself, wow. Jesus is breaking all of the rules. He's doing nothing that you're supposed to do. But again, Jesus didn't care about cultural rules. He cares about people's hearts. But for our time today, I don't want to lean into those things. I want to lean into the fact that Jesus was on a road trip. He was going from Judea to Galilee, and he stopped at 7-Eleven, a.k.a. Jacob's Well. They needed a break. They were thirsty. They needed some snacks. They went to Bucky's. They're just en route. They're on a road trip. They're not where they want to be. They're, this is not a destination for them. They're on a road trip. They're stopped at the proverbial convenience store of Jacob's well to get a drink because they are thirsty. And this woman was just doing her job. She was just getting water for her home, maybe for a home that she served at. We don't know, but we just know that she was just getting water from the well. She was doing her job. Jesus was on a road trip. But because Jesus was living on mission, he saw that this woman wasn't just working, she was hurting. Because that's what happens when you're living on mission, you're no longer just seeing the person helping you, serving you, giving you your coffee, sitting next to you at your office, living next to you in your neighborhood. You're not just seeing them existing. You're seeing them through the eyes of heaven, and God is going to begin to show you, man, they're not just working next to you. They're hurting next to you. They're lonely next to you. They're confused. They're hurt next to you. To you And living on mission allows us to see that people around us aren't just working. They, they might also be hurting. And so Jesus said to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God that is who that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is like, actually, you know what? The water I need to drink doesn't matter. It's the water that you need to drink because I know you're here to work, but I can see that you're actually hurting and I am here to turn your ashes into beauty for her to experience transformation. When we live on mission, we're not just seeing someone do what they do around us. When we live on mission, 
We are not just seeing the person that teaches our kids. We're not just seeing a teacher. We're not just seeing a barista. We're, we're not just seeing the person at 7-Eleven. We're not just seeing the person at Dick's, ladies, when you're buying your 23rd Stanley Cup because they came out with a new colorway. And you have to have that shade of blue because that one is the real beauty. Right? Like, it's, it's not just seeing people. When we're living on mission, we start seeing people around us through the lens of heaven. Do they know Jesus? Do they have the main thing? What an incredible privilege we have to be messengers, to join in with Jesus' great commission, to be those who go and make disciples of all nations. I, I truthfully think about this all the time. Why in the world did God make us his plan A for the story of his glory to spread around the world? So many other cool ways he could have done that. But in the mystery of God, he's given us the opportunity to be those who can go and tell them because again, how can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? We are mess messengers of grace. We're messengers of salvation. So that every man, woman, and child in our city and around the world can be impacted by grace. Think about that. Every man, woman, and child in Austin, Texas, having an opportunity to hear the gospel, respond to it, and be transformed by it. Think about that. Think about some of the issues we have as a city evaporating as that commission becomes our mission. That we're opening our eyes to what's happening around us. And we're seeing people who are around us and they're not just working, but they might be hurting. And we can, you know what Jesus said to his disciples after he has this incredible encounter with this woman and she doesn't just give her life to Jesus like tons of people did. She like ran through the town and became an evangelist saying, hey, come see this dude who told me everything that I've ever done. And the town showed up and it says that they believed. Because that's what happens. When Jesus shows up in Samaria, things change. When Jesus shows up in Austin, things change. And his disciples are kind of having a little bit of an issue with this because they're going through all the cultural things that Jesus did wrong. What are you doing here? Why would you come here? Why would you talk to her? She's got a sketchy reputation. Why would you do this? And Jesus is like, I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. They're ripe for harvest. Church, Jesus is saying to us today, open your eyes.
Open your eyes. You don't need to change what you do. You don't need to change where you go. Just open your eyes as you do and as you go. Because the fields are ripe for harvest. Jesus is moving in Austin, Texas. Can I say that again? Jesus is moving in Austin, Texas. Salvation is happening in Austin, Texas. Do you know that there's a movement that's happening among young people right now? A couple of my daughter's friends, a couple of my son's friends, just this last week we're at an event. They gave their life to Jesus. Last night they were at a worship night run by students in Taylor. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Hello. God is moving in Austin, Texas. The Spirit of God is moving in Austin, Texas. And we get to be messengers to go before and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he can save you. And he can transform you. And he can heal you. And the church being the church is a church that's going to change the city. Amen? Do me a favor, stand to your feet. A few weeks ago, I asked you to look at an empty chair in this auditorium and to put a name on it so that we could believe together, that we could pray together that those seats would be filled with your friends who would come to church and meet Jesus and be saved, be transformed, and be healed. Today we're going to end a little bit differently. We're going to end by together praying for those people. And maybe you're like, I didn't know we did that. Maybe just get a name in your head. Pick an empty chair. And we're going to pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give me an opportunity to open my eyes so I could be a messenger of the story of Jesus for your glory. So we're going to all pray together. Maybe this is new for you at church and your weird meter might be freaking out. Don't worry about it. Just, you can just watch us be weird, man. But I, I want our all across the room, our hands to be lifted high. Can we just lift our hands high? And we're going to pray together in one voice. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just begin to pray right now out loud. Begin to pray, church. Say, God, come, move, fill this chair with my friend. Fill this chair with my sister. Fill this chair with my son. Fill this chair with my daughter. Fill this chair with my neighbor. Come on, church. Let him hear your voice. Let him hear your voice. Jesus, we love you. We're asking that right now that you would send us, you would deploy us to be those who are messengers of your story, God, for your glory on the earth. Lord, we're believing that right now that the city of Austin is going to be changed, that every man, woman, and child is going to have an opportunity to hear the story of Jesus, to be able to respond to that message, and to be transformed by the power of grace. Lord, that is our mission because that was your great commission. And so, Lord, we say we take it seriously. Open our eyes so that we can see. Open our eyes so that we can see the fields that are ripe for harvest. Open our eyes so that we can live on mission, that we can be a church that is living on a mission, seeing that people are not working next to us, they're hurting next to us, seeing that people are not just giving us our coffee, but it's an opportunity for us to be able to give them Jesus. Lord, we're asking that you would allow us, awaken our hearts, God. Awaken our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.